Whoopi, you mentioned that you spent a lot of time when you were young watching stars that you aspired to be. Right. There are some people out there watching Whoopi Goldberg now and wanting to be like you. What would you have to say to them? Do it. Do it. You won't want to be like me once you get older. You know, you won't want to be like me because you'll find who you are. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making. I'm Brandon Pope. Today. It's Making Whoopi Goldberg. If you can't handle a fart, you can't handle me. I am the original sexy beast. Whoopi Goldberg has pioneered a path to Hollywood success. Whoopi Goldberg's on Broadway. She's just one of 18 people to earn an EGOT, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. And the first black person to ever do it. And the Grammy goes to Whoopi Goldberg. She's done stand-up comedy, Broadway, screen dramas, and now daytime television. People have been coming after me saying they're going to snatch my family. They're going to come. It's like, well, here's the deal. This is the view. Please stop. Please stop. If you're going to talk about race, at least know what you're talking about. At least know what you're talking about. But before the awards and controversies, where did Whoopi get her start? Who was she before she found the limelight? What were the years that shot Karen Elaine Johnson, a.k.a. Whoopi Goldberg, to success? The first time I saw her, I knew that she was going to make it. It was so obvious. She was an original. And an original, they become seen. Because there's a place in the culture for people who are original. That's today on Making. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at haciaworks.org. Whoopi Goldberg was born in 1955 with the name Karen Johnson. She grew up in the Chelsea Elliott houses of Manhattan, a public housing project. And she described it as like the sort of place where you needed to know a few words in like a bunch of different languages, just enough so that you couldn't ask your friend's parents if they could come out and play. This is Jasmine Hughes, a writer who profiled Whoopi for the New York Times magazine last year. And... It was the sort of place where if you did something, you got in trouble. Like, somebody else's mom would take care of you until your mom got home and you could take over. And located inside the Chelsea Elliott houses was a social services center called the Hudson Guild. When Whoopi was just eight years old, an entrepreneur named Helena Rubenstein decided to fund a children's theater program there. And little Whoopi fell in love. Here she is on the Biography Channel in 2005. So you'd go and see all these wonderful things happening on stage. That's what really started it. I knew I was born to be in the light somewhere. And 1960s Manhattan had a lot to offer a young theater buff. Bus fares were a quarter, and show tickets could go as low as $4. 
At one point, when Whoopi was around nine years old, she snuck out of the house. No, not to mess around with her friends, but to see the Nutcracker. Here's Whoopi telling the story to the Television Academy. The bad Whoopi pops up, or the bad Karen. Let's say the bad Karen pops up. You'll be back before she is. What are you doing? Let's go. We got stuff to do, things to see. And then the good Whoopi popped up and said, no, I don't think so. I think that it's not a good idea. And so the bad Whoop came over and kicked the good Whoopi off and out I went. She lived with a strong single mother and a loving brother. Her family was tight-knit. So I was very lucky to have the woman that I had raising me because my mother was really smart. She knew what something was up with me because I was dyslexic. She didn't know what it was. She knew I wasn't undiagnosed because they didn't have it as a thing at the time. And alongside that undiagnosed dyslexia, young Karen did not like school. After just eight months of high school, she dropped out. But she made a deal with her mom to continue her education, DIY. That meant going to free lectures across the city and reporting back what she learned. But it was after dropping out that Whoopi's life took a bit of a turn. It was the 1970s, and drug culture was different back then. Here's Whoopi on the Biography Channel again. It was everywhere, man. You know, somebody in the park, you're in the park, and there was a, a grooving or a loving going on. You know, somebody had you something, you drank it. You weren't questioning what's in here. You know, the drugs were part of the era. But it was more than just casual drug use for young Whoopi Goldberg. Things escalated. She became addicted to heroin. On The View, she once said, I ended up sitting on a bed for three or four days, scared there was something under the bed. She said she hit rock bottom. And they were as necessary for me to who, who I've become as anything else. All of that experimentation, every drug I ever took, went into formulating who I am. Her friends helped her get clean, and she later told The Telegraph getting clean convinced her she wanted to be an actor. She also got help from her drug counselor, Alvin Martin, and the two of them got close. This is Whoopi on Oprah's Masterclass talking about Alvin. They said, let's get married. And I thought, well, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I thought that if I, if I made, if I structured a life that way, uh, I would feel more like everyone else. By the time Whoopi was 18 years old, Alvin and her were married. But Whoopi said he wanted a housewife and she wanted to act. So they separated and Whoopi took their daughter, Alexandria. Then one day. I was working at the Hudson Guild on a show. I was stage managing, I think. This is Whoopi with the Television Academy again. And started talking to this actor. He said, well, if you want to come out to California, be a nanny of my kid. I was like, okay. How how's this work? So, well, we're going to go to Lubbock, Texas first, and then we're going to drive to San Diego. And I said, what? To what? Because I'd never heard of San Diego. And then we drove to San Diego. Where it turned out I wasn't a very good nanny.
Whoopi lands in San Diego, where her nanny career is short-lived. Luckily, her actor friend was part of a company known as the San Diego Repertory Theater. She was in my neighborhood. She was an actor. She wanted to work. This is Sam Woodhouse, who founded and directed the San Diego Rep. We were building a company. We didn't have any money. She didn't have any money. What we had was desire and passion, and we loved to be on stage and put plays on stage. And there were no other black actors in our company, so she quickly became part of the company. It was here Whoopi got her infamous name. Her friends at San Diego Rep called her Whoopi Cushion because she was, well, flatulent. And she embraced it. She started going by Whoopi. She told Time Magazine back in 1992, Whoopi Johnson just did not cut it. So she rummaged through her family names and landed on Goldberg. A contested name, by the way. The likes of Henry Louis Gates would later find that she has no Jewish ancestry. More on that later. Her time at San Diego Rep did not necessarily pay the bills. So Whoopi lived off $64 a month from the welfare office. She worked odd jobs to make ends meet. Bricklayer, bank teller, and mortuary cosmetologist. Here's Whoopi talking about her mortuary job on David Letterman in 1984. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Is that the job you wanted? Well, yeah. It's like playing with dolls, you know? We were in process. We were, you know, under 30. <laughs> Sam Woodhouse again. We were, we were trying to, where, where's our next gig and where's our next meal? That's what we were concerned about. And in her case, where's the next meal for my daughter as well? So how do you think she was able to pull this off with all these things going on? Well, it's a fairly remarkable to try to answer that question because she literally had no resources except for herself and her desire and her drive and her wit and her political eye and her ability as a observer of the culture. Do you have any stories or memories that come to mind of her that really encapsulate the wit and political eye you're talking about? Well, I have this memory of her naked wrapped in an American flag which at that time, a young black woman naked wrapped in an American flag was not something you saw every day and certainly not in the media. Perhaps the most memorable drama that she did for us and really performance she did for us was she played Mother Courage and it was set in the Civil War. So as the woman who owns a cantina on wheels and wagon that rolls around the battlefield and serves the military... And I was thinking about those early days. And what I remember from that production is the very end in which she was sitting on the ground, holding the body of her daughter who just died, been killed in the battlefield. And this was the last of her three children, all of whom were gone. And the weight of this, of the loss after she'd been so positive and so aggressive and so determined to survive. And here she was leaning against the wheel of this wagon with nothing and this emptiness. And this, it it became this very powerful 
anti-war statement, which, again, at that time in the late 70s was very, pretty relevant to what had just happened in Vietnam. And you guys experienced what I think a lot of people kind of overlook when they talk about Whoopi Goldberg, her being able to do dramatic acting. She could pull off some drama. What were your impressions of her as a performer, especially when it came to dramatic acting and being able to switch it up and do other things as well? Well, let's let's be just straight out. Whoopi was and is a very talented dramatic actor. As she very often said in those days, and who knows how much since, nobody gives me a chance to do that. Well, we gave her a chance to do that. Now, the the role she really wanted to play was not one that I was willing to cast her in. And it's one of my few regrets from those early days of my career. She was determined that she could play the best Ebenezer Scrooge of all of possible. I can only imagine. And we, this, you know, wh- white icon, male white icon of British literature. Uh, and we, we had started doing the production in 1976, like several other theaters in America. And she asked me every year for three or four years, I want to play Scrooge and I wouldn't let her do it. I said, no, the audience is not ready for that. <laughs> you know, this is 1978. You know, that doesn't happen. You know, of course, looking at it now, what a great casting idea, right? <laughs> it would have been great. What a brilliant casting idea. It would be great. We'd all love to see her play Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, <laughs> it was my reticence that stopped it from happening and my regret. But her ambition was always there. I, I, I mean, I think it's emblematic of her ambition. Then she met some members of a theater group that was visiting San Diego from the Bay Area up north. They were called the Blake Street Hawkeyes. And so we had some fun, smoked a lot of pot, and talked, and then they came and saw my show, and they said, you should come back with us. You should come stay with us and, and you know, do all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, hmm. So I said to my kid, who was probably seven by then, what do you think? You want to try something new? She was like, where are we going? I said, well, it's San Francisco. I don't know. You want to see what it is? And she was like, yeah. So we packed up a Volkswagen that had no brakes, that you had to stop with a handbrake. And we drove to San Francisco. In this new era of adventure, Whoopi jumped headfirst into San Francisco's avant-garde theater scene. She's doing theater, improv, and in one instance, she stars in a movie. The movie, I thought, was about anarchy. But actually, the making of the movie was anarchy. This is William Farley, the director of a movie called Citizen. I'm not losing my mind. I'm giving it away. It's an avant-garde film made on maxed-out credit cards, and it's Whoopi's first-ever on-screen appearance. Her, her scene was her looking at herself in a puddle of water. And before we started, I, I said um, to Whoopi, please empty your mind for a few minutes, and then just let's see what happens. And she did that, and one of her characters appeared, and... 
what was great was she did not know what she was going to say, but she had such a wonderful sense of humor that she did this rap on the state of being a citizen in America. And it was very personal, not political, but it was very strong and witty. After I went back to the watch the uh, rushes of her scene, one of the people I was with said, well, how did you like that scene? And I said, I didn't like it. That luminosity came from Whoopi. The idea that we I shot her in a puddle, she was looking at herself in a puddle, and there was no lights. And that when we when we got the rushes back, all of a sudden it, it looked like the scene was lit, but the, the, the light was coming from her, and she always carried that light. So while Whoopi is in San Francisco, one of her partners with the Blake Street Hawkeyes decides to go on tour performing in Europe. When they return to America, Whoopi had new material to work with. Here's Whoopi with the Television Academy again. And so I thought, I want to talk about this experience, but I don't want to do a travelogue. I could put this in the mouth of a junkie. That's somebody that would be unusual to hear it from them. And so that's what I did. And then I started thinking about all the other shit that was bugging me. And out popped Whoopi's one-woman show. She didn't know it yet, but it was going to completely change her life. It was a series of characters that Whoopi seamlessly transformed between. A junkie, a surfer girl, a black girl who wanted long blonde hair. I think it's fair to say the show was one of a kind. It didn't have one cohesive plot. But it also wasn't just a bunch of stand-up impressions. It was a series of monologues and stories, both hilarious and sometimes heart-wrenching. So she took this show on the road. I remember she got a call to perform in New York. Here's William Farley. And I used my credit card to buy her her, uh, ticket to New York. And when she was there, she was discovered by Mike Nichols. Legendary director Mike Nichols, who did The Graduate, Catch-22, and Working Girl, went to see Whoopi's show. (laughs) And it was off and running. And the first time she had a few bucks in her pocket, uh, she came back and gave me my money for the the plane ticket. (laughs) Nichols went for a friend's recommendation. After the show, he went backstage, burst into tears, and told Whoopi, he would produce whatever she wanted. So he took Whoopi and her show to Broadway. Whoopi Goldberg's on Broadway. This is my long, luxurious blonde hair. And this is the number to get tickets, 239-6200 for Whoopi Goldberg at the Lyceum Theater. He was just, just blown away by the talent. And, you know, I mean, he was probably the most famous and skilled Broadway director. He, he was pretty amazing. Mike Nichols has since passed. This is Lisa Hogarty, who was a stage manager for Whoopi's Broadway debut. Yeah, he used to cry during previews. You know, rarely did he give her, you know, direct notes and stuff. But um, he, he mainly helped her on her pacing because she could tend to go a little fast. Um, and that's that's what mainly he reminded her of. Like, please let us enjoy you. You know, the, you have so much to say. 
I totally love to surf, okay? Because, like, I really feel, like, aesthetically, like, connected with the ocean. Because, like, no, really, because, like, you know, there's water in my body and water in the ocean. And, like, we pass water, water passes us. I mean, it's like... Uh, and she, res she respected him so much. Whoopi Goldberg opened at the Lyceum Theater in October of 1984. In an introduction video, she visits each of her personas backstage before the show. Fontaine. Yo, blood. What? Are you ready for the show? None of your goddamn business. <laughs> Nobody said this for a motherfucking name, right? Mm. It's cool. It's cool. Hey, the name of the show is Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, but that, hey, you know, billing, billing. It's what it's all about, you know. Fontaine, that's my name. It should have been up on the list. You know what I'm saying? So fuck it, okay? It's cool, I'm ready. Look, I'll make it up to you, go first. What did you notice in that moment? Where, where you thought to yourself, yeah, this one woman show, it, it it's going to be something. It, it can happen. I think just the pure transition from one character to the next, it, it was like metamorphosis, you know? Like there was physical changes. There was movement changes there was attitude change but the 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 transition from one character to the to the next uh, even the audience would gasp sometimes they were so powerful we talked a little bit about some of the monologues and various characters you know a, a surfer valley girl there was a drug addict uh, did you have a favorite character that Whoopi delivered i think the little blonde girl was my favorite you know so touching this is my long, luxurious blonde hair. <laughs> Ain't it pretty? Yeah. I could put it in a ponytail, want to see? Yeah. No. <laughs> you do? Yeah. What, was, what was sort of the premise behind the, the blonde girl character that Whoopi presented? Well, so, so it's this little black girl who, you know, is, is not living the same type of life that the white kids around her are, especially blonde girls. And she wants to have that. So she she's like, okay, so I'm just going to be this blonde girl. And she puts the shirt on and, you know, flips it and makes a ponytail and puts it in the front and, you know, literally becomes <laughs> this little white girl. But, but, you know, just doesn't understand why she isn't as beautiful as them because she knows in her heart she is. It's a very poignant and simple story, but very powerful. And probably one that a lot of people can relate to as well, especially a lot of young black girls growing up. Absolutely. Whoopi said the little blonde girl skit was modeled after her daughter. One of the most special things that would happen, her daughter, Alexandria, she was she was little. Whoopi would usually come, you know, an hour to 45 minutes before curtain and bring her daughter with her and we would be testing lights and, you know, music and stuff and audio was on and they would, you know, just play in a 1984's playlist. And uh, she and Alex would just dance. And it was like, a, it was literally a duet between the two of them. And it just would relax Whoopi so much. Alex loved it. She's like, I'm dancing on a Broadway stage. And um, yeah, she, it was just, it was just lovely. I would, I would start to cry when I would watch them. It was just so beautiful. So in that sense, you also got to see Whoopi as a mother. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. And as a daughter, because her mom, Emma, would come, um, you know, and just sit backstage behind me and watch a couple of performances. And the, the family was very close. And uh, obviously, they were so proud of her. So you told our team that those initial days helping Whoopi put on this Broadway show, you said they were amazing. What makes you reflect on that time with such fondness? What was particularly amazing about it to you? Well, she was so generous, you know, like my birthday's in December and we were doing a show that night. And at the end of the show, instead of taking a bow, she comes over to offstage, grabs my hand, takes my headset off, brings me on stage and has the entire audience sing happy birthday to me. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so my 23rd birthday was my Broadway debut. <laughs> you, you don't forget that. Oh. It was, uh, she was just amazingly generous. That is special. You're, that's yes. something you're always going to remember right there. Oh, my God. Yeah, Absolutely. So if you're free, come to the wedding and reception. We're having a disco pool party. How were the audiences responding to her? Was was it an immediate hit or did it need more of a ramp up to get the word out? No, it was pretty instantaneous, especially since it was a limited run, too. So it became a very exclusive ticket. Yeah, so we were sold out every night, standing ovation every night. It was a who's who who would come see the show and come backstage every night. Dolly Parton, Dave Winfield, who was with the Yankees at the moment, Warren Beatty, Michael Douglas. It, it was it was really like entertainment tonight without the cameras. Word of Whoopi got around. My next guest is uh, certainly a unique performer. She has a one-woman show now at the Lyceum Theater on Broadway. She was on David Letterman back in 1984. And she has been getting uh, tremendous notices. She is also a very interesting name. Please welcome Whoopi Goldberg. And during this rise to fame, Whoopi gets a big break. Alice Walker had just written her Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, The Color Purple, and she began discussing movie deals. When she saw Whoopi perform, she knew she was her protagonist, Celie, a young girl from Tennessee who discovers her power after experiencing decades of abuse. And Whoopi knew she was Celie, too. She auditioned for the role in front of Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, and the director of The Color Purple, Steven Spielberg. Here's Whoopi chatting with Jackie Adedeji for the Edinburgh TV Festival. I, I did everything that I, I knew I was going to do. And my new managers and new agents said to me, you know, you can do everything in your cadre, but you cannot do Blee Tea. Blee Tea. That's a bit Whoopi had been working on privately. It means Black E.T., and suddenly, at the end of my show, they were yelling more. And I said, well, I have one more thing, but I've been asked not to do it. <laughs> and Steven said, what is it? I said, well, I don't know if I should tell you this. He said, tell me. So I did it mm-hmm. for him. It basically was my version of E.T. where he lands in the project. Ah, brilliant. And he gets in with four little kids who, who then introduce him to a pimp and he can't make a phone call (laughs) because the phones don't work. Uh, And he then becomes a pimp himself. And Whoopi said Bleedy was commentary on America 
forcing immigrants to assimilate. And I did it and it was quiet when I was done. I mean, like, quiet. (laughs) It's like, oh, I messed this up. And then I heard applause. And he said, I never thought of it that way. After the break, Whoopi Goldberg shoots to stardom. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Steven Spielberg cast Whoopi Goldberg as Celie, the lead in his new film, The Color Purple, alongside Danny Glover and Oprah. She was around 30 years old. Until you do right by me, everything you think about is going to crumble. And after that performance, she gets nominated for an Academy Award. As Celie, who survived her childhood and a bad marriage and finally finds freedom and herself, Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple. Now she's A-list, and her star just keeps rising. She's in Star Trek. Must be terribly frightening for you to be totally defenseless after all of those centuries of being omnipotent. She stars alongside Patrick Swayze in Ghost. Don't you goddamn it, me. Don't you take the Lord's name in vain with me. You understand? I don't take that. You relax. No, you relax. You're the dead guy. You want me to help you? You better apologize. Because I don't take that from you. And of course, she takes the lead in Sister Act. And by 2002, she became the first black person to achieve EGOT stats. Miami goes to... And the American Theatre Wing's Tony Award for Best New Musical goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Grammy goes to... Whoopi Goldberg! Last year, Jasmine Hughes sat down with Whoopi Goldberg at her luxurious New Jersey mansion for the New York Times Magazine. Listen, we got to talk about Rock Obama next, but <laughs> you guys have already done that podcast. And we sat down with Jasmine to discuss who Whoopi has become. So in this piece, you write, or should I say hints in your article, that you consider Goldberg an, quote, unrecognized genius who has managed a one-of-a-kind, first-of-its-sort, Decades-long career with dreadlocks on her head, no eyebrows on her face, and her foot in her mouth. Can you break down that description for me? Sure. Well, 
Number one, I think she truly is a genius, not only by virtue of having such a long and varied career. Whoopi is just, she's a genius in an all-encompassing way. She's obviously incredibly talented, but she's so quick. She's so funny. She's so incisive. I think I might have written in the story that she's the ideal person to be stuck next to on an airplane because you would never feel the six, eight hours on the plane go by because you are like going on a vacation in the land that is her mind, right? Let me go back to unrecognized genius. When I think Whoopi Goldberg, I mean, I feel like she's one of the most recognizable people on the planet. Um, But she's not recognized as a genius. Here's a theory that I have, right? My other favorite actor, my favorite male actor is Danny DeVito, who I think is genuinely one of the hugest screen and stage talents we have. However, because he's short and because he's very funny, he's put in a lot of comedies and people write him off in that way. Danny DeVito were a foot taller. What are you talking about? He'd be on a postage stamp. What a take. Anybody who disagrees, go watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, it's good. He can act. Anyway, I feel a similar way to Whoopi Goldberg, right? Like, Whoopi is unorthodox. I think what I mean to say is that people don't take Whoopi seriously. And it's for reasons like her name, the way she looks, the fact that she's Black, the fact that she's a woman, the fact that... People, you know, maybe want to uh, pin her into a role in which she is just the the comic relief. In actuality, she's got this incredible dramatic range as well. So the unrecognized part was really me wrestling with this idea that the culture at large has taken Whoopi for granted. I wanted to take a moment for everybody to settle down and like really take stock in this incredible woman and all that she's provided to culture over the past 30, 40 years. In this new era of Whoopi's success, her unrecognized genius has been paired with some highly recognized faux pas, to say the least. Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> I just want to clear up this Ted dancing business once and for all. Whoopi said that Ted wears blackface all the time. Well, Whoopi, I'm going to let you in on something. There are a whole lot of men out there who really are black all the time. They're called black men. And she said, just like being black, I just know I'm Jewish. I practice nothing. I don't go to temple, but I do remember the holidays. Once people start researching it, uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr. actually found all her ancestors and so forth. And none of them were actually Jewish. She is now widely known as a co-host on The View and has been with the show since 2007. And that role has lent itself to some memorable hot takes. Yesterday we talked about Cosby and I said what I've always said. Innocent to proven guilty in the United States of America because that's our law. Uh, so people have been coming after me saying they're going to snatch my family. We're back now with fresh controversy surrounding Whoopi Goldberg. It's spilling over from comments she made almost a year ago saying the Holocaust was not about race. She was widely condemned then and apologized, but she just made similar comments again in a new interview. I am one of the only black men who DVRs The View. You DVR The View? I do, just in case something spicy is said. Just in case. It's giving sick. That's sick. Don't tell people that. You should edit that out of this. That's crazy. Should have kept that one in the draft, son. Should have kept that to myself. <laughs> Whoopi is one of these people who she just be talking. She'd be on national TV, live TV, 
Just running her mouth. Just running her mouth, saying whatever is on her mind. And I see her at this point as untouchable and in the age of cancel culture, which I hate that term, but whatever, uncancelable. Because it keeps happening. She gets people upset. And she's still right there on the view the next morning. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's going to keep on rolling and you forget about it. Honestly, I can't remember 10 things that she may have said that were controversial. You'd have to remind me. So what is your take on that, on Whoopi just kind of being able to be above the fray and just speak her mind and not care? I, honestly, like if you slow down and think about it, remarkable things about Whoopi's career, but For the purposes of this story, I was particularly drawn to the number of times in which she's fucked up or flubbed or misspoken or been taken out of context, what have you, what have you. It was interesting to talk to a person who had not only put her foot in her mouth many times previously in her career, but is continuing to occasionally do it or had recently done it when I had first spoken to her and still has a career. So I just wanted to talk to someone who had known how to roll with the punches, how to like learn from your mistakes, how to apologize gracefully. She's untouchable in my eyes. Even when I disagree with her, I'm like, well, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like that family member who you're not always going to see eye to eye with. My mom be saying some stuff. I'm like, wow. Listen, I'm like, ma, who gave you that information on Bill Cosby? Because I have some news articles actually (laughs) that I would like for you to read that are fact-checked and provable, but okay. Yeah. So I think that's kind of how... At least us in the black community hold her is, hey, that's Whoopi being Whoopi. And you're going to love her through it, in a sense. And actually, you know, I think Whoopi, in some cases, in some pockets of the black community, is both that older family member, but also sort of like your weird cousin. You know, like every black family has one, like, goth. And everyone's like, I don't know what the fuck Jasmine was watching. And I don't know why her hair and eyes and nails were all black, but... That's my cousin, you know? And I think uh, something about Whoopi that I had seen over the course of her career is that, you know, she was always doing quote-unquote unconventional things. She had the blue contacts on the cover of Rolling Stone, and Spike Lee was like, she hates herself! She was dating and marrying a lot of white men, or a few white men, and people were like, she hates black men! I, I think that she was just forming, forging rather, she was forging her own path and not necessarily adhering to what people expected from their celebrity, particularly from Black celebrity at the time. She always kind of been doing her own thing. And so I think if the Black community's actions and thoughts and feelings are being decided by you and I in this moment right now, which I think they are, everybody is listening to us, I think we should be like, that's my girl and I'm sticking by her. That's my cousin. Like, I don't always agree with her. I don't really get her. But that's my girl. I'll fight for her. You mentioned the weirdness, um, which one of, I think that's one of the things I find fascinating about Whoopi Goldberg, too. Growing up being a weird black kid, you know, that's an experience in its own. Listen, and I feel like listen. <laughs> as, as a weird black kid, you know, we was in the trenches. In the year 2000, we were in the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I was... Very much a weird kid and also a dark-skinned, weird black kid. And so, you know, and I think Whoopi very much had a similar experience to that. That's part of the reason why she dropped out of school. Yeah. I think it's it was harder to be the weird, dark-skinned black kid then than it is now. I definitely do. I think that Whoopi's real appeal is cross-racial and cross-gender lines and cross all this stuff, like, 
Whoopi is weird and she accepts it and she's okay with it. And she's found like tremendous success and great happiness in following that and not adjusting to the myriad complaints or uh, tips, quote unquote, that she might've received over the course of her career. And so I think that makes other weird people who are watching her on TV who think that in order to succeed or find happiness in life, that you have to subliminate some part of yourself in order to be more normal and therefore more accepted, see someone like Whoopi say, oh, she's doing it anyway. Not even in spite of her weirdness, but sometimes because of her weirdness, because she's such a unique and dynamic person. And that makes them, and by them I mean us, feel more confident. Our final question here, what to you is the legacy of Whoopi Goldberg? Her legacy is that you don't have to compromise in order to find success. That sometimes being just being yourself is truly the best advice you can give. Whoopi's just being Whoopi. And I think that's the thing we should be applauding her for, that she's not trying to like adjust herself to the social mores of what people are asking for or, you know, present really piously or really radically in order some movie tickets. She's it's just a woman living her life. And it's a good life too. Oh, I wish I were her cat. My next life when I come back with Whoopi Goldberg's cat. <laughs> Making Whoopi Goldberg was produced by Hina Shravastava and edited by Justin Bull. I'm your host, Brandon Pope. Our executive producer is Brendan Benazak. More episodes are on the way. Be sure to press the subscribe button and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>